Good evening, everyone. Where is Yamanuja? Oh, there she is. Okay. Good. So I'd like to just ask for questions this evening. Yes. I have another question. Adi Chaitanya I have a problem with this book. And I'm saying this with all respect for Krishna's Kavirat, because it's a wonderful book in so many different ways, you're all aware of. But uh, Krishna seems to be something of a misogynist. And it comes out in many different ways. But when he is when he is uh, listing the introducing the players in the drama, uh, it's hundreds of men and uh, maybe four or five women, and they're often literally counted as halves. And uh, and that's not so bad. But he also makes Mahaprabhu seem to hate women sometimes. For example, in uh, in the Navadvipa, this is before he became sannyasi. A woman embraces his feet, and he becomes so upset that he jumps into Ganga, doesn't return home until the next day. So, uh, how should we read these kind of descriptions? Mm-hmm. Well, Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, "No book is perfect." Uh, but um, um, I think that um, it's true and it comes out to some extent that in, in, in the Chaitanya Charitamrita that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as a sadhu, a saint and a um, spiritual figure was also as a byproduct of his spirituality a, a social uh, reformer hmm? and improved the, the plight of of women at the time I think the as for example the implication of the the story about the uh, observance of ecodicy on the part of women which was not being asked of women I think at the time but he insisted that his mother follow ecodicy and excuse me but I forget the details but it was the fact that they weren't supposed to follow was some way um, not including them in in something um, important and spiritual and um, marginalizing them to some extent, as I understand it. Um, and so there are other examples, I believe, but um, uh, this is one that is brought up in Chaitan and Charitamrita. And um, this is, as I understand it, is the implications of that, that he was a social uh, reformer. He was a social reformer. We, we see also clearly in Chaitanya Charitamrita with regard to the caste system and um, how its boundaries and uh, 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 
rules were overridden overridden by him with regard to his spiritual dispensation. Um, there were um, complaints, for example, about um, uh, Haridas Thakur receiving the offering from the Shraddha ceremony of performed by Advaita Charja, which was supposed to go to the, the most qualified Brahmin in the community, and Advaita gave it to Haridas, who was a was a was a Muslim, um, but a devotee. And how um, this is, of course, extension, but it's Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching. Hmm? And he chose Rupa and Sanatan to be his leaders in so many ways, and they, from the social and religious system at the time, were considered outcasts. Hmm? Um, so there's much of evidence for the what would constitute as an overflow, if you will, of what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's spiritual, spirituality was about. Um, 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 there was also a, a wave of, of social reform. Hmm? Um, and so that, uh, I believe, is um, indirectly hmm, speaking about the, uh, um, his, his disposition and the position of his teachings in that they were meant for all people, all times, regardless of their sex, regardless of their 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 birth, their caste, uh, their their religion, hmm? um, and we are drawn by that. Uh, also, it's very inspiring. Um, many many examples. Um, yeah. And so I think that that spirit of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was brought out in the, in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. And uh, however, the, the, the direct statements that you, you, you talk about, the exclusion of the discussion of women or the, the, the listing of their names along with all of their partners and the vast majority of the branches, if you will, of the metaphorical tree of love of God that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the is the trunk of. Uh, all the branches, the devotees, they were most of them were married men, and the wives weren't listed along, along with them. So this is an example, as you said, of what you're you're speaking about. But um, I think it's it. it it re- refers more to um, typical social customs uh, of the t- of the times than it does to any particular disposition of Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami, which would distinguish him from other devotees of the time or from 
Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who may have and did apparently socially observe certain policies um, and overrode certain policies as well at certain times uh, when they, particularly when they, the relative consideration came in, 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 in to confrontation with the absolute. Hmm? Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, it's a story as a sannyasi, of course, that you're familiar with when he, Mahaprabhu, the lady climbed on the back of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu at the Gurudas Stamba in order to look over him. He was a towering figure and have the, the darshan of, of Jagannath. And while others complained and dragged her down, he praised her for her eagerness to see Jagannath and, and uh, wished that he had the same and so forth. So... Um, um, Krishna's wasn't shy to relate that, um, so I, I don't think it's 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 really the case that you use a very strong word there. Um, that I think in times gone by, um, this is five hundred years ago in, in India, and we're looking at it from modern um, you know, Europe in the twenty. First uh, century, hmm? and um, it's just not a fair way to um, assess I've, uh, the reality, and uh, and and fault. Let's say, for example, the people of the time or the author Chaitanya Charitamrita. I've given an example before of Abraham Lincoln, a famous American president, who. Um, pushed the the um, abolition, the freedom of, of slavedom, freedom from slavery of the uh, African American community in the United States, and he's famous for that. Um, but he also, in his time, uh, felt that while the slaves should be freed, of course, they could never hold office be elected officials, or I mean, that was obvious. Um, and so if we were to just focus in on that reality, that, that fact, Abraham Lincoln thought that uh, black men and women could never hold a political office. He wouldn't be a very famous president. He would be seem very uh, um, racist and, uh, and, and so forth. But... Um, um, you know, these things are uh, social truths and so forth are truths or they're even half-truths sometimes that seem like the whole truth. And as I said the other day, in my experience, the nature of the material world is that it's changing. Well, there was something new to be learned about it and a new way to think about it. And, and it seems to be historically a fact that, that uh, in more cases than not, what we think about in our time to be correct, to be right, to be true, to be ethically and morally the most sound way to conduct oneself um, shows itself in the future to be uh, shocking, laughable, uh, appalling. Hmm? 
um, who knows what people will think of us, uh, you know, in the future that, um, you know, we built houses out of wood or something like that. You know, how could I possibly, you know, think like this and do that? Or, and they might have one in a museum, you know, how don't ever do like this or something. I'm just using an example, let's say, from an environmental point of view. They actually cut down trees. Can you believe it? Uh, they, you know, they, they thought that uh, that you know plants didn't uh, didn't didn't have feelings, or uh, so uh, we could look pretty bad. <laughs> um, and so I think we have to judge um, persons and cultures uh, not literally in relation to ours, but in relation to the to their thinking. Progressive, uh, if you want to use a term, um, thinking that uh, that really often goes against the current of the time and pushes policies that um, at the time are uh, restrictive, limited, uh, that constitute uh, some semblance or form of bigotry, and so forth. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, as I say, was was very much uh, a champion of, of, of that um, misogynic, and I guess as a form of bigotry. Hmm? And uh, he was hardly that, and he's showcased as 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 such in Chaitanya Charitamrita. And so I I think that um, Kaviraj Goswami embraced the same uh, sensibilities. But, again, he wrote, um, according to the Times, I don't think he wrote inaccurately um, and had a thing against women, per se. Um, but that's what the world was like. And women were very different, and men were very, were very different as well, psychologically, physiologically. Um, when we mentioned the point the other day that, that apparently uh, young ladies are maturing at a much earlier age now than they were when I was a kid and and so they've got different clothes and they do different things and 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 um, and um, um, not because the way they were treated or, or young boys were treated or whatnot at, at, in times gone by was was necessarily wrong, but they were different people. Hmm? They were really different in, in in many ways. That's a good example to mature. I don't know. I used to be like twelve or thirteen. I don't know. Do they actually mature earlier than that? Eight. Eight, nine, sometimes seven. That's pretty different. Um, I mean, so what you would expect hmm, um, goes with. With puberty and and so on, it uh, uh, would never be thought of when when girls were becoming mature at twelve or or thirteen. Uh, the, you, how you would at seven, what they would be like and what they would be doing, what would be expected of them, and and, and so on and so forth. It's a it's a it's a quite a big uh, difference. So the point only is that. That material nature is endlessly immutable. It's changing. We are really 
very different people as much as uh, we are a product of nurture, materially speaking, as I like to say, and an influence, the influence of the, of the culture, the environment, and so forth, has much to do with our material sense of self. I mean, we couldn't imagine a more different environment than uh, West Bengal, you know, 500 years ago, and uh, Warsaw, you know, downtown Warsaw, or... I mean, it, it's and it, it's like it's like practically a different different planet. Hmm? So you really have to look at these things with an eye, you know, to um, the times and the circumstance and what may seem very um, inappropriate and um, um, off-putting. The women would probably think you were you were absolutely nuts, you know. To th- of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's time, to think that Krishna Das or Chaitanya Mahaprabhu didn't didn't like women or something like that, and they were particularly singled them out, um, and uh, and so forth. Um, so that's how I would th- uh, think of it. it. It never struck me like that, but. Uh, you know, we could have we could have a problem with lots and lots of books and lots and lots of authors if we are to think of times gone by, especially such in a, another country, in the East. I mean, we're in the West. We're from different countries here, but mostly from the West and the East. They're very different. And then, you know, the gap of, 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 of centuries as well. Um, so literature of those times, even if they're spiritual and posit eternal, enduring truths and so forth, they do appear, those truths, through a cultural filter. This is a, one of the wonderful points brought out by Thakur Bhaktivinoda. Even about all the sacred texts, there's the filter of the person, who, his ability to read and... and um, the, uh, uh, he points out cultural sensibilities as they appear in the Puranas and so forth and distinguishes them uh, from the essential truths of the texts. Um, so, again, and he was the one who said, as I began, no, no, no book is perfect. Um, and um, this is probably to an extent, why, or an instance in which that um, is appropriate to invoke that statement of his. Preaching, for example, the absolute truth in a certain time, place, and circumstance, um, will have more uh, relevance to the time and circumstance because all of the relative aspects um, that the truth, the presentation of the truth includes cultural sensibilities of the of the time and material knowledge of the time about how the natural world works, for example, something like that. These things will all resonate with the people and and be readily digested and offer no uh, opposition whatsoever 
to that which is is couched within them and is essential. Hmm? Now, we hundreds of years later, some of these relative things are going to stick out because they're different from our relative and social perspective. And so it's a harder sell, so to speak. Or, as I'm saying, the truth presented, an absolute truth presented according to time, place, and circumstance needs to be presented again according to time, place, and circumstance with language and cultural sensibilities and so forth that couch it in such a way that that there's no opposition, if you will, from the relative, nothing that jarring um, and um, and it kind of goes down uh, more uh, more readily. Hmm? So somehow we have to look at, at the history, really, and, uh, and certainly a spiritual history, the dissemination of spiritual truths in, in, in lineage. Um, and it's what separates us, I think, um, as practitioners from essential practitioners and uh, less than essential and living practitioners that get caught up on relative aspects of a teaching that are the the kind of package hmm, that the essential truth is is presented in and we identify the package um, with the essence more than with the, that which is it's uh, has been wrapped up and packaged that which is inside and we see this readily um, in the in the Gaudiya community, um, this misidentification with relative truths and the couching, the packaging of a truth um, over that which is packaged, the truth itself. So uh, that's how I would think about that. I wouldn't really uh, uh, fault him. And again, he's presenting a person who was very much... A, a religious reformer, and I mean, for I think probably, for example, you know, in Jagannath Puri, he says Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had three and a half uh, confidential associates. The half was was a woman. Probably from his point of view, that was like a huge, like you know, like they're gonna they're gonna fault me for saying this, but um, I'm gonna say it because uh, it's right. And she was close to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and you know, he was probably. <laughs> more in that spirit than the one that uh, uh, he might be thought of from our point of view without consideration of these these type of, 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 of points. Hmm. Does that help? Yeah. What else? Yes. My question is about Agyata uh, Sukriti. As I understand, Agyata uh, Sukriti means some pious uh, activity performed without knowledge, so it also means without faith. But uh, Krishna uh, concludes 17th chapter of Bhagavad Gita by saying that any activity performed with uh, whatever it can be, like uh, sac- sacrifices, charity, austerity, if it is performed without faith, this is asap and brings no result. It's fruitless. So how is it possible that Agyata Sukriti still brings some result? 
what Krishna is speaking about there in in the Gita is in the 17th chapter, which is about faith. Hmm? And uh, Arjuna asks about that. Um, doesn't he ask that what about people who perform activities but don't have faith in the scripture? Hmm? But they, they do them anyway. Hmm? And um, Krishna, of course, extols the virtues of faith and speaks about faith in different modes of nature and how indeed even a person, in a sense, is their faith and the very principle of, of, of faith, which is what I like to think of as the animating principle in life. Um, a person is their faith. And if you don't have faith, to use an adage of Pujapad Sridhar suspicion leads to suspension. So as much as faith is lacking, then our animation and ability to go forward is somewhat suspended. Hmm? And so there's a kind of a virtues of faith that uh, is, is the central theme of the scripture and an advocacy in the conclusion of the chapter that we should have faith in Shastra, Ya Shastra, Vidimutsricha, Vartite, Kamakarta, Nasas, Siddhimabhapnoti, Nasukam, Naparam, Gatim, without faith. In in scripture and, and following it, then, you know, nasukam naparam gatim, there's no happiness, there's no eternal destination, and so forth. So there's an overriding um, emphasis on the uh, value of faith, and kind of in an essential way, especially, as I say, when he says that a person is their faith. It's a very de- defining hmm, definition of faith, which is very beautiful and thoughtful and very different from how in the modern society faith is thought to be often to be some deviation from reason for people who can't think very well. Something like a very different idea. Uh, an idea in which which properly understood reason really has its uh, fullest meaning and is most beautiful as really an attendant of, an ornament of one's faith. Hmm? A very, very different idea than faith being an absence of, 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 of reason. So, that said, much of what's talked about there is um, activities within the modes of nature. Hmm? And therefore Krishna begins... By saying that there's faith in 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 Tamagun, Sattvaguna, and Rajaguna, and he's giving examples throughout the chapter, and then he concludes by emphasizing faith. Without faith, what what can be done? What 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 can one accomplish? Um, we say that faith in bhakti gives one eligibility to tread the path of bhakti, and uh, it's. That said, it's not that faith in yoga marg is not required to tread the path of yoga, or faith in the jnana marg or the karma marg are not required in order to tread those paths, but in those paths, faith plus something else is required as well. Hmm? marg faith in, in, in the jnana marg and its efficacy and some purity of heart is required to participate. So by contrast... Bhakti is very uh, generous and has no other prerequisite but uh, faith in her efficacy. 
Um, but that's faith in bhakti. And bhakti is something very different than anything within the modes of nature. We can do things within the modes of nature. Hmm? Um, but bhakti does us. So that is a very different concept. We think in sadhana bhakti that we are doing bhakti. But as we continue in bhakti, we'll see and realize, we'll experience that it's kind of an odd way of speaking about it, but bhakti is doing us. Hmm? Bhakti is actually otherworldly. And it is the essence of Krishna's sarup shakti. It uh, descends and it takes the shape of in some kind of primary uh, forms, like hearing about Krishna, chanting about Krishna, archan, deity worship, this Navalakshan Bhakti, Bhakti articulated by Prahlad, Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Padasevanam, Archanam, Bandhanam, Dasim, Sakyam, Atmanivedanam. About these expressions of Bhakti, Jiva Goswami uh, says that participation in them, they, they are, what is the term he uses um, in Bhakti Sandarbha? They are um, Surupsida Bhakti. Hmm? Surupsida Bhakti. So they are um, powerful forms of Bhakti that have an effect upon us whether we do them consciously, unconsciously, with faith or without faith. And that is to say that what if you do them, what to speak if you do them with attention, with faith, and so forth, how much more there will be an auspicious result. But there are examples given therein of even other species of life being involved in participating by chance in such activities and getting an extraordinary spiritual result. One of the ones that comes to mind is is the rat living in the temple who uh, in, in the, on the altar there was the ghee lamp hmm? and the lamp was kept lit and so the rat went to eat the ghee from the lamp and somehow the wick got stuck on his nose and so he was trying to get it off by going like this in front of the deity and the deity was said to accepted the archan this is very central arati means to, to end the night so it's very much about the light it's, a, it's the, light, the light festival arati to end the night by light, cast a light on Bhagwan, something like that, and so there he went like that, and and it's said. I think Jiva Goswami gives example. He went to Bakuntha. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so it, 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 it's the point is here that these are not bhakti is not something within the modes of nature. It descends, and and, and so I have raised the the point myself that. Often we say it requires, love requires uh, free will. And I guess you could say it does, but, but once Krishna, through his devotees, exercises their free will, 
and shares bhakti with us or bhakti through them shares herself with us well then then it's it's uh it's it's not a matter of our choice is it <laughs> it's the uh it's the it's the generosity of bhagwan hmm? and bhakti devi herself and uh, uh, it's not the choice of others to hear the the sankirtan hmm? Um, but they may hear it anyway. So, such is the nature of bhakti. Prabhupada once said, I came to your country as an aggressor. And I said, we thank you for that. That's very, very good. Um, of course, then, you know, we, we can, I mean, and our will is, some, is something that we're constituted of and it has a, a part to play. So we can go against bhakti. It's possible. And... Um, and that we very much caution against uh, uh, to uh, material desire is, is, is a small thing, uh, but aparad to go against bhakti, that is uh, another thing. It, it, some, some have compared it to sins of the flesh as compared to sins of the soul. So you don't want that. Something like venial and mortal sins. When I was a kid, so we were Catholics, so I used to think there's these venial sins, you know, you can erase those, but the mortal sins are like a, a stain that won't come out of your soul. It's, it's a big problem. Hmm. Put some of the light out. I used to think of the soul as this, I don't know how you all thought of it, but it's this glowing light in the heart, right? And it had a dark spot on it. It was very unbecoming. So you didn't want that. So, so, you know, we, 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 we can respond to the descending uh, grace of bhakti with our will in a way that's um, counterproductive. But, but she chooses us, hmm? and um, then we're... It's not like we chose, I'm going to do bhakti. And, um, and, and everyone's a seeker. Hmm? Everyone's a seeker. Every human being is a seeker, really. It's not that those who seek will find. Everyone's a seeker. And everyone. So, bhakti descends, is the point, at any rate. And bhakti does us, and it becomes more apparent as we advance in, in bhakti. It, it, the experience that Krishna is dancing on my tongue, that my tongue is moving almost without trying. Hmm? Something like sometimes it's like my tongue has these weights on it. It's very difficult to even say the syllables, and other times it will just move very, very effortlessly. Hmm? So you, in Sadhana Bhakti, you get a little, little glimpse of, of, of that. Hmm? And uh, so at some point, the, you be consumed by Bhakti, and Bhakti takes over the mind the antakar and the subtle body and the senses. First the senses, then the subtle body, and then it integrates into the atma itself. And we, as I, I think I quoted the book of Thich Nhat Hanh, be, being peace, the, being love, you become a vessel uh, of, of love whose inside and outside is, is really, really um, for all intents and purposes, constituted of 
the Sarup Shakti. You are Jeev Shakti, but enveloped by um, the Sarup Shakti and functioning as if a member of the Sarup Shakti in the intimate uh, realm of Sri Krishna and uh, a participant in his his leela. So, even without faith, then, in uh, um, in the efficacy of bhakti, still we may be influenced. But again, those points are also made not to say, therefore, mindlessly go on with your bhakti and you don't even have to believe in it and it's okay. <laughs> That's not really the point, but... But what to speak then, if you pay attention and you, you culture that, uh, grow your faith by good association, and that's how it will be grown, um, then um, so much more you will, uh, you, you will more quickly, you'll, you'll uh, experience the efficacy of Bhakti Devi. Does that help? Yeah. Well, it's different. different. It's not a worldly activity. Hmm? What else? Yes. Uh, you mentioned that uh, uh, one of those lectures two days ago that, uh, you know, that because uh, spirituality generally transcends re- reason and, and, and mental world, that uh, to explain it somehow uh, may be inadequate to use, for example, logic like. Advaita Vedanta may be flawed because you can say what they can say that they are like Brahman and then you can ask why they suffer and there's no logical answer to this. And you also mentioned, as far as I remember, I may be wrong here, that also if we trace some um, if we try to logically explain even Gaudi Vaishnavism, then there are some you know, some loops or you said that it's also if we, if we just go into into this philosophically, and then there are some things that may evade explanation, or there may be some um, gaps. So, could you explain? I mean, is it possible to explain what these gaps are, or is it not appropriate to, to tell us because we may be mistaken? I'll cite one example, one, one modern example, perhaps. Um, but before I do that, um, how much of a, a gap or a limitation from a reasonable point of view, our tradition, um, how much of a gap it, it may have, will be dependent upon your own reasoning power also. Hmm? And um, what might appear as a limitation and a, an explanatory gap, hmm? if you will, from my point of view, might not appear like one to you. Hmm? So this only underscores the relativity of reason and, uh, and, and, and the fact that our participation in bhakti is not solely a rational 
exercise. Again, we come to bhakti by the influence of bhakti that comes into our lives unbeknownst to us and without any effort on our part. Hmm? Uh, through the devotees, Krishna uh, distributes bhakti. They are said to be his uh, manifestations of his kripa shakti, his, his, his uh, power to give mercy. Um, th- through them, bhakti is distributed and they try to distribute it indiscriminately hmm? wherever they can. Hmm? Um, and they are walking personifications of bhakti that even arguably without trying, they influence others. They may not try to preach to the animals, but still they may bring them in touch with hmm, srupsita-bhakti, the chanting, prasadam, something like that, um, and, and there will be benefit. So, um, that said, the way that works is that we develop a, a psychological predisposition towards the reasoning that supports the, uh, the, the notion that bhakti is, is an ontological reality and it, it descends somewhat invisibly as a, as a force in the world. Um, and, um, and, and, and so because of our predispos- psychological predisposition as a result of the influence of bhakti in our life, in this life or in previous lives, we find the philosophy that supports bhakti, it works with us psychologically. Hmm? And we're all a little different in terms of our reasoning capacity and, and psychologically, but all influenced by bhakti, so we all have a tendency to like its answers to everything. And kind of naively, in a sense, we think it answers all the questions. All the questions are answered. I mean, we should just tell everybody, and it, all the problems are solved. Here it is. But it doesn't seem to work like that exactly. Uh, what makes perfect sense to us doesn't make perfect sense to someone else. So this is an over-kind-of-riding example of how, uh, of what you know, I'm talking about when I make that point. Hmm? Um, I mean, when I first went to a um, when I decided I wanted to be uh, a to join Prabhupada's mission hmm? I remember I was uh, at a festival in Berkeley Berkeley California festival for Lord Chaitanya they had I think it was on it was on the Gore Purnim they had this big murti of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and they were parading him through the park and Chanting and so forth, and I was there participating, and and um, and uh, I went to the table. And they were serving out apple raisin halva, which was you know out of this world type of a preparation at the time, <laughs> and uh, and so when I. Uh, received the plate, the, the young lady behind the table pulled out a picture of Jagannath, 
Lord Jagannath said, this is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And she, and she must have thought, like, that made it absolute perfect sense. And that I would just, you know, go, yeah, it looks like him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something like that. But I remember thinking, okay, okay. <laughs> Could be. Who knows? The holiday's out of this world. <laughs> so, you know, I'm open to the possibility. But <laughs> but um, uh, her simple uh, faith and, uh, and and so forth and psychological disposition that it just gave her no reasons, you know, to think to think otherwise. There could be a lot of reasons that someone might say, I don't know about that, you know. You take Krishna, we think it sounds great, and somebody else thinks, so, your God, you know, is this playboy, right, who, like, you know, runs off with other people's wives in the night. Um, it, you know, you could make a picture that sounds pretty weird, and that's how the Orientalists originally um, thought about Gaudiya Vaishnavism, um, when they encountered Hinduism, they started to think that Vaishnavism was the closest thing to the true religion, which in their mind was Christianity. But then when they encountered the Bhagavatam and Krishna Leela, they said, but it all really goes down the drain here. This is where it really, really ends. And there was a big court case in India with the uh, the Balabha Sampradaya, who are also champions of Krishna's two, Bhagavan Swayam, and the Krishna Leela, and so forth. Um, Bhaktivinod was in the mix of all of this, and of course he came out with, with, a, with beginning with a prejudice against the Bhagavatam. Hmm? And uh, this in relation to Victorian English moral sensibilities, and so on. So, you know, we, we kind of like think it makes perfect sense. Krishna and the gopis, and of course, you know, it's not what it looks like, but it, what it looks like isn't a barrier for some people. Even the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the Parakya Bhav that we uh, spoke briefly about this morning was something that apparently many of the followers of Jiva Goswami had problems with. Hmm? And therefore he posited this idea that the Parakya is an occasional leela as the Leela manifests in this world, but in the Paravyom, in the spiritual world, in the Nitya Leela, there's no Parakya. Hmm? But that's actually not the teachings of his guru, Rupa Goswami. Hmm? Uh, but he kind of, well, he evolved a preaching strategy for the time to keep people on board. And this was the budding kind of beginning of, a, of, the, of the lineage and so forth. So he took as a powerful preacher, that liberty to... And, and, and there's a way in which it's true also. Hmm? Because um, there is no parakya. That's true. Everyone belongs to Krishna. Um, Sukadeva Goswami was asked, after the, the description of the Rasalila by... Uh, Prichit Marsh asked Sukadeva, after his description of the Rasalila, like, how is it possible that, like, Dharma Setu, hmm? the very bridge of Dharma, hmm? that, that, that Dharma walks on and stays, you know, above the water, so to speak, um, is depicted here as uh, an adulterous uh, person. I mean, how are we going to wrap our heads around that? 
and uh, this was Parikshit Maharaj's problem. And in effect, among other things, Sukadev replied, you, you hop, stop right there. You should understand that Krishna is the husband of the gopis' husbands. Hmm? It's all swakiya. Everything belongs. There's, there is no nothing. There's nothing that doesn't belong to him. Swakiya means belonging. Um, <coughs> it speaks of married life, and people belong together. They belong together. It's celebrated. Have a big festival. These two belong together, though they shouldn't be somewhere else with with others. And we announce it to the world and so forth. And this way, we try to try to harness the uh, uh, our 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 animality. Hmm? So, uh, so uh, as I talk about, it, I think it's becoming more clear that that there are gaps, if you will, in the philosophy that that aren't for others, that aren't for us, and amongst devotees too. Some things would be points of uh, very difficult to. Um, to, this will be stumbling blocks. I'll give another example um, that is of our... Um, what is his name? Tamal Chandra. Tamal Chandra is not here, unfortunately, but he's, he's, he told me a few years ago he just really troubled by this theodicy argument. Theodicy means, uh, the, 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 I guess, the discussion of how there is evil in the world, but God is thought to be all good, and how how do we resolve this, and so forth. And there's many ways you can talk about it, many ways to resolve it. It's a problem not only for Gaudiya Vaishnavism, but for all forms of theism. We have our ways of speaking about it, and so forth, and I did take the time to speak about it creatively in a number of ways, And but still it was a stumbling block for me. For me it was never like, an issue whatsoever, but hmm, I know others are really like troubled by that. Hmm? Gets in the way of their their progress. You can only address it to to some extent, and it depends upon their sukriti from the past how much they it will be an issue for them. Hmm? I mean, I could explain it to you, and you go, "Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's no problem." Hmm? But for someone else's reasoning power, it will be a, it will be a stumbling block. Hmm? So. This is a transrational affair that we are in, involved in. Bhakti is descending, and and we have to let it let her descend, so to speak, and create an environment where there will be more opportunity for in, in being touched by bhakti, and accordingly, then one will uh, start to think that this is perfect. This explanation is perfect. It answers all the questions. Hmm? And then you feel confident to march out and share it with your friends until you hear more arguments and and uh, and, and so forth. One of the modern arguments that um, I've dealt with is um, is the idea that if consciousness is is ontologically, let's say, a, a reality that's different from physical and psychic matter, hmm, then how does it move matter? How can a non-spiritual thing move non-physical, non-material thing, substance? 
move and influence a material one, hmm? you might think, well, what's the problem? Spiritual things can do that. You know, but they're thinking, well, if it does, we ought to be able to see it. And you can say, well, you can't see spiritual things. And they go, well, yeah, that doesn't really work for us. Uh, why should we believe in it then if we don't see it? Because you say it uh, and so forth. And so while you can make a very good argument for consciousness being different from matter from a reasonable point of view, from a scientific point of view based on empirical evidence and so forth, still this is like a, in, in philosophy of mind and neuroscience and so forth, this is, this is a real, this is kind of like a, the, the dividing point between theistic faith and a materialistic perspective. Hmm? So, I mean, we can say the Godhead reflects on, on subtle matter, and subtle matter has this capacity to, to be a reflecting, um, you know, like tin foil reflects. So subtle matter reflects consciousness, and the abbas, chit abbas, the abbas, the shadow or the reflection, the semblance of real consciousness um, manifests in the world macrocosmically as the chitta and microcosmically in ourselves as the chitta. And this is the then the subtle organ of perception. And but here we're talking about subtle matter, which we could, you know, Maybe someone would say, yeah, that's a possibility. That's maybe a way of looking at the problem, but we don't know much about it and so forth. And still we haven't found any ghosts or something like that. Um, um, and so we could give an explanation and we can say that, that, that the Godhead glances. It means he reflects upon, in another sense of the word reflecting, thinking about, uh, contemplating and so forth and and this subtle form of matter has capacity that gross matter doesn't to to reflect that and then gross matter proceeds from that I and mean, we have our explanation and so forth but it's uh, it's 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 just a story really hmm? in, in a sense that it is not demonstrable unless one experiences it and subjectively and so anyway there's this gap uh, we, we can't I haven't been able to fill it and say you know here it is this is here's, here's the empirical proof that consciousness there's something called consciousness that moves matter you might think well of course mind moves matter you know but many people don't even think there's a there is such a thing as a mind it's only a brain and so forth so so you know if you go into it um, you'll find that uh, there are a lot of um, arguments that appeal to other people's reasoning. Hmm? I mean, there's there's a psychological reason, if you will, for being a, a materialist. I don't re- really think it's a rational argument, or 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 a, th- a theist. Uh, I don't even think these either. Often these are debated as the rational side to one or the other, and I'll involve myself in it as well, but I don't really think it is a rational argument. I think it is a product of association hmm? and material association, spiritual association is going to predispose one in, on one side or the other and 
to find the logic of one side of the argument or the other to be compelling and satisfying and and answer you know satisfy my intellect the intellect has an appetite and it can be a problem hmm? to satisfy it to quiet it to uh, to 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 feed it and uh, um, so if you have the right uh, sukriti, to use a term that Krishnakarna brought up, then uh, this, this Gaudiya Siddhanta, uh, it can uh, satisfy the intellect and then you can proceed. Another way of thinking about this, the, the point that you raise, is that we explain, you know, we have a theory of everything, right? I guess you could call it that. Um, and you take the Ramanuja Sampradaya, they have a theory of everything. If you hear their philosophy, you think, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, <laughs> this is wrong. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it takes you to Vaikuntha. Hmm? It's not too wrong. Um, and so the, I just bring this up as the relativity, if you will, of philosophy, our philosophy as well. They use different terms. They they don't see the absolute truth to be non-dual. Therefore, it's called vishisht advaita, hmm? qualified non-dualism. And in terms of the three qualifying, um, what qualifies one to be non-dual? What is it? Swagati swagata bed. Uh, bed. Mm. I can't remember three types of obeyed uh, they don't accept all three that, that, that the, the absolute lacks uh, I forget what it is Swagatabed I think that type of non-difference so it's different than our interpretation of the Bhagavatam and, uh, and so on they don't see Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the 11th uh, canto verses that, uh, that where Jiva Goswami saw, saw him. And we hear his explanation, we go, yeah, of course, what, could that, what else could that verse possibly be about? And so forth. So, uh, so the relativity of Siddhanta. That said, hmm, the, the Siddhanta or the philosophical uh, uh, explanation of reality really, of the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, in our case, and the locating of that on the scriptural map, on the map of the Eastern Revelation, and so forth, is, as much as it's relative, it is also very um, vital and a powerful instrument for us to become in, engaged transrationally such that we might realize the truths that the philosophy itself can't fully contain. So while we acknowledge its relativity to some extent, which should put your mind at ease sometimes when it doesn't seem to answer entirely something that you wish it it did or your intellect wishes it, it did, you have to understand the relativity of it and the inevitable limitations of, a, of, a, of a, an attempt to articulate with reason and language something that transcends reason and language. But as much as we underscore that to be a 
so-called a, a, a defect or a limitation. At the same time, the philosophy is is powerful. It is a powerful explanation coming from those who have the experience. If I have the experience and then I try to speak about it, as limited as my words and reasoning uh, are to adequately convey the experience, hmm, still, it's a very powerful, it's an empowered type of explanation that if I others identify with it, embrace it, it gives them a handle, if you will, to get involved in what are really transrational exercises, like the chanting. I mean, why do we have philosophy? So that we can chant. Prabhupada said, just chant and be happy. And I remember giving a philosophical discourse once, and a fellow in the crowd said, uh, Maharaj, uh, whatever happened to just chant and be happy? You know, it's like, this stuff is making my head hurt, you know. Like, you're creating doubts just by, you know, talking. I just thought, just chant and be happy. I said, I said, that's good. I said, is that what you do, you know? And he said, well, not really. I mean, I said, well, man, we need some philosophy <laughs> to get you going on that, to help you understand why you should just chant and, and why that will make you happy. Hmm? So it, it, it all, and Nityananda Prabhu was not much of a philosopher. He just chant and be happy and... And he, he's Nityananda, so, I mean, he's pretty happy. <laughs> uh, and people would see him and think, I want to be like him, uh, follow him, looks good. Um, meanwhile, these Goswamis come along with all this philosophy and theology and so forth to, to uh, explain to the masses and, and educated people, I should say. But at any rate, um, those are empowered explanations because of where they're coming from. Just like the descriptions of Krishna Leela, Hmm? Descriptions of Krishna Leela are are um, empowered descriptions of a philosophical theological reality that ultimate reality is one in which there is a type of of of, of stillness and movement at the same time. Hmm? A dynamic and static ultimate truth is dynamic and static at once. It's static in relation to the movement in material existence, where we're moving by the force of of karma. Hmm? And the movement itself is problematic because while it appears we're going up through material acquisition, we're really going up the down escalator. Hmm? So we're not really getting anywhere. We're making the effort to go up, but we're at best staying in the same place, if not going down. Hmm? So this type of movement is problematic, and to move away from that problem, you want to come to stillness, because the movement is the problem. So Brahman is still. Hmm? It's firm ground to stand on. Any, any ground that we acquire through a real estate transaction, you know, could be taken back by the bank. Um, uh, or it could, the ground could decide to uh, exercise itself and have an earthquake and you know, so much for your, your property. Hmm? And so there's no standing that we really, on firm ground, that we can acquire by material acquisition. So then to move in another way, and to and and to and to and to not move, to let go, hmm? 
right? And, and be the ground that you are of being. Hmm? Um, so there's a stillness. And then in Gaudiya Vaishnavism we say, and in the stillness, out of the stillness comes another type of movement that we call Leela. It looks like the movement within matter, hmm? the movement under the influence of the Maya Shakti looks like the movement under the influence of the Sarup Shakti. And this is an important point because it, it's a very interesting explanation of spirituality, which we often think to be something like, here's material, it's like tangible, and spiritual is like, you know, very like, it's formless and you know, something like that. But it's really just a different type of movement. And that, that's the whole concept of the sadhaka deya being spiritualized. Krishna has a spiritual body. Uh, I mean, how do you think about that? Hmm? So, it's, uh, so at any rate, the point is that, that lila, the idea of lila is that reality is ultimately static and dynamic at the same time. And it, it means that love is, the, is reality. It's what we're all moving for, and it's attainable. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so there's a whole you know, metaphysical argument and so forth to, to, make, to make this, uh, this kind of uh, point. And, and, then, and then in the context of that, there's explanations of how that might play out. Hmm? How Vatsalya, Madhurya, Sakya, hmm? which are forms of love, how they would play out hmm? in transcendence, in ultimate reality. And then there are the stories of Krishna Leela. Hmm? And they're very empowered attempts to explain the experience of the sadhus. And we see that they take liberty in those explanations to explain the same leelas, for example, that are, that, are, that are showcasing the idea that Krishna is a coward boy. Krishna is the son of Yashoda. Krishna is the, is the object of Radha's and the gopi's love, as I've explained, these three different kind of identities of Krishna, identified by, 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 by Sakya, by Vatsalya, by by Madhurya, revealed by them. The power of these these forms of love that we're acquainted with reposed in the in the in the center hmm? uh, in this in our in a, exercised in relation to our our source, the opportunity for which is made possible by him revealing himself. Uh, through these forms of bhakti manifest in, 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 in sadhus and their writing and so forth. And so, so this is all very empowered uh, and and we take advantage of it with the knowledge and understanding that, that they themselves, these descriptions of Leela, for example, are, are limited. Hmm? And so therefore you'll get the questions, you know, it's said over here that... Uh, Nanda Maharaj had 900,000 cows, and I was thinking about that, and Vrindavan is this many square miles, and I was, did a little you know, calculation, and not enough room for 900,000 cows there. And so uh, it's a problem for me. Hmm? Prabhupada was asked that question, and he said, you read too much. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
Uh, you have to feel it, something like that. Uh, so the descriptions themselves have limitation, but they're very, they're very much empowered at the same time. And so I, I liken the descriptions of Leela to be um, kind of like like outlines of the book of life in which you have to write your own page also. Or the table of contents. It's not the whole, something like that. It's a way of talking about Vatsalya. And, 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 and so they are, the leaders are that and, and more. And more, and arguably in different shapes and different expressions in as much as the form of the Godhead corresponds with the love of the devotee and there are unlimited forms. Asankhya is a number of the, 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 the descents or appearances of the Godhead. And Bhaktivinoda acknowledges that cross-culturally the Godhead appears in different forms and there's no reason to believe there isn't a Jesus loka yeah. from the point of view of our, our philosophy. Hmm? We might think that the leelas should be really entirely free from any cultural uh, restrictions and so forth. The different ways to think about it. the different cultures are not all cultures are not the same. That might not be a popular uh, idea. That that if I we say some are better than others, but they are. Some cultures are better than others. Um, some cultures are spiritually centered and they have their sattvic influence. And 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 um, are centered on a clear distinction between consciousness and, and matter, so they'd be better from that point of view if, of, um, <coughs> excuse me, pursuing an understanding, experiencing that 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 truth, um, and so is Krishna Loka better than Jesus Loka? <laughs> I guess it would be a cultural kind of argument in a sense um, but the argument is more why there should be either of these both of these are just like you know ways of talking about something that really doesn't exist so we don't need Krishna with the flute and all that stuff we just do away with that and, and look at it philosophically I don't think that's a good argument I think that that if the God it is lovable and person and so on and so forth then he what shape will will the Godhead take? Some shape that we have no familiarity. Why not, you know, again, what is a spiritual body? What is a material body? It's not like one is invisible and the other one's visible. And one of them you can poke holes in, you know, put your hand through and the other one you can't or something like that. Um, it's a question of consciousness. And... Um, and um, Influenced by the Srup Shakti, Daivyesha Gunamai, Mamamaya Dratteya. Not, no, excuse me, wrong verse. Mahatmanastumampata Daivim Prakritim Ashritim. Moving under a different influence in the world are the, are the Mahatmas. That influences the Srup Shakti rather than the influence of the Maya Shakti that has certain results like uh, envy and. Uh, these undesirable uh, types of qualities. So, um, <coughs> so if the Godhead is lovable, and then why should we th- think it, 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 that love will take a shape that's entirely different than what we know to be love here? Hmm? And 
And so, do you follow what I'm saying? They say that the, 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 the cultural ideas in Christianity of God with, you know, you've got these winged people, angels and stuff like that, and there's depictions on the, you know, in the chapels and so on and so forth. And then in, over here we've got Shiva, you know, and Brahma and, and, and so on. Both are good. Hmm? Both the, the minds, you know, you go this the the, the the macrocosmic world, the world of mind stuff, then it may show itself in different ways to different devotees, and and such are the possibility of the Godhead. Hmm? And why will he show himself in some way? Like, was he going to appear like a like a green monster? Because hmm? he has to be different and not be culturally, you know, <laughs> like anything on earth. He's going to have, you know, I mean, four heads is good enough, I mean, for Brahma, but that's different. But still, it's all very <laughs> human-like and uh, uh, in, in many respects. And why should it be, why should it be different? Hmm? So, but at any rate, uh, I'm kind of getting sidetracked a little bit from your, 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 your answering your question. But the, the point is, well, I guess I'm answering it there, you know. A lot of reasons that people might think. I don't know if I believe in that stuff, uh, um, but it's 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 not it's it, it's not meant to answer. It's not. It's let's say like it's not meant. The teaching is not meant to be something that just entertains your intellect forever. Hmm? Just like it's not just a, a good movie that just goes on and on and on and distracts me from reality. The reality is your intellect is part of the problem that you have. It's not that by because th- you think you can know. Hmm? Therefore, while we advocate free thinking to an extent, we also, in, in a larger sense, advocate becoming free from thinking. Hmm? And it's, it's limitations. And this is a very strong point of the Bhagavatam, which really invites one to bring their intelligence to full force to the argument of the Bhagavatam that it might be arrested, it might be arrested and captured by bhakti, and then begin to work in in, in favor of of a, a transrational exercises, like chanting is not a, it's not irrational to chant, but the exercise is not a rational exercise. It's a heart exercise. It's a mystical. Exercises. It's, it's it's not. I mean, we can say it's not that mystical, and you, you know, people need to bring it down. I saw something on the internet the other day that has has been invented. Very interesting. It's a machine that produces a sound that puts out fire. Pretty cool. <laughs> so they showed it, and they they lit a, lit a fire inside of a pan, like I put some ghee in there or something, and they lit it, and the guy comes to the machine and just holds it like this, and there's a sound, the fire goes out. Hmm? So we could say, see, sound, mantra, they creates, you know, something like that. Um, um, and try to take the mystery out of everything. People want that. <laughs> you really don't want that, is my point. Really don't. You try to appeal to your reasoning by saying, "See, sound puts out fire. Who would have known? What is the power in sound? Therefore, sound can do this." And you know, okay, that's just trying to like, you know, 
hammer your intellect in, into, into like being quiet, be satisfied, enough, like a child, enough, enough. Okay, there's more to life than you, much more. Don't get in the way. Hmm? So uh, this, is, this is what the Bhagavatam tries, tries to do. Krishna Skaviraj and Chaitanya Charitamrita invites us to come bring your arguments here. Bring them, he says. We can answer them all. He has that kind of faith. We can answer them all. <laughs> and, uh, and what does he do ultimately? Just paints this beautiful picture of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You think, oh, you know, get it. You know, think, who cares about the arguments? I'd like to do that. He sounds like a wonderful person. Hmm? And of course, then we can say, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, is, his, is Krishna real? What about that? The historicity of Krishna, is he a real person? Christians will say, see, at least our God is real. He was really here. Hmm? He died on the cross. There were witnesses to the, to the, to the event that he, that he came back from the death and so forth. And you've got these stories about this guy that you know, does all kinds of things that are obviously impossible. It's a myth. And you're chasing after that and so on and so forth. So what do you say? You say, no, it's not like that. Hmm? He appeared 500 years ago. His name is Krishna Chaitanya. Hmm. And he, he, his reality is this: you tell the story, and, and, and so many poets wrote about him—not twelve witnesses, but hundreds of them—and hmm. wrote book after book about him. And uh, and, they, and and what he had was contagious, and so on and so forth. And all of it was arising from his meditation on what you call a mythological, uh, in a pejorative sense, uh, a person, Krishna. How could this person have such an effect, a desirable effect, and see his ecstasy and try to understand it? And you want to be happy. This is, you know, it's okay. We're not against Christianity, but for me personally, the figure of the Godhead dying on the cross is not as, as a big gory and, and guilt kind of invoking. It doesn't touch a lot of other of my human emotions in a way that I could bond with the figure, hmm? the way that Mahaprabhu's Leela does and Krishna Leela does. Hmm? It's, it really touches on all human emotions in such a way that they can identify with the deity. That's why we like to hear the, hum, the humanness of Krishna, the shortcomings of Krishna. Krishna's being tied up by his mother, being chastised. Hmm? We like that. Hmm? Because it, 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 it's our emotional uh, experience of how we function and feel. Hmm? You know, we all have some feeling of, 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 of what motherhood's like, either from the point of view of the child or from the point of view of the mother or the, or the father, the parental sensibilities. We know what friendship is like. We know what romantic love is like. And then we hear our deity talked about in all these ways, it's just like he's one of us. That's the whole idea of praying. He's one of us. He's a Braj Basi. Someone once complained that Prabhupada had named his deity in London, London Ishwar. What is this? He's Rajendranandan, London Ishwar. But I thought, Prabhupada's just trying to make people in London feel like he's ours. He belongs to us. He's with us. Hmm? <laughs> Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur, uh, a good example that he, he, the, some British people, he conducted himself with some British sensibilities. 
that enabled them to connect with him. There's a famous letter where one British lady says, and I met this sadhu and he's different than others. He uses a British toilet. I really like him. He's like us. He's modern, you know, or something like that. So we find in the figure of Krishna hmm, um, and, and, and him through the, through the historical, obviously, figure of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who's so recent in times compared to the Eastern, the Western Savior, uh, the, uh, the Christ, and so forth, uh, somewhat documentable, you know, his, his, uh, his, his person and uh, uh, the, 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 the <coughs> and beautiful uh, philosophy that's come out of from his followers and so forth. But, but again, in this, there's such capacity to I, humanly identify with the deity to make a bond. Hmm? Uh, so to me, it's a more attractive uh, figure, if you will, and so much so that, you know, that the shortcomings of the philosophy, just if you just, uh, it can be overridden, you just, uh, and, and that's Rag Bhakti. I just like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that's all. <laughs> I don't care about anything else. I, I'd like to be with him. That's my ideal. Oh, I'd like to cowherd with Krishna, or you know, I, I would, I, I, I would like to be the handmaid in the Prada, and and that's just that's it for me. That's all. I, I don't need any philosophy, and then just chant and be happy. And that's Raghunuga Bhakti. Really, you have some liking for that, then. But we're trying to promote that through, and and in the course of doing that, well, often we have to wrestle with the. An intellect that really wants to be entertained. And it's very subtle because when our senses want to be satisfied, well, you know, we can understand it. We can say, hey, there's a limit here, okay? I know you want to taste more, the tongue, but the stomach is not going to agree, and I'm going to mediate here and say, no, tongue, no. Hmm? Stomach, stop, no. I'm going to get involved here, right? Um, and so it's apparent <coughs> when our senses are. Um, uh, asking in excess of what is what is in our interest. I mean, hopefully, that's what humanity is supposed to be like compared to uh, uh, less complex forms of life, perhaps. But but then you have, from our point of view, you, then you have you have this mind idea, hmm? more subtle, right? And then you have something more subtle called the intellect as well but they're all material and they all want to be satisfied but it's more difficult to detect when the intellect wants that which is in excess of really what's in its interests in terms of entertainment attention and so forth because as we go up on this ladder from sense objects to senses to mind to intellect everything's becoming more subtle the matter is becoming more subtle and more, more, more spiritual-like, if you will. Like mind is much more, chitta is much more, well, we, we call it consciousness. It's chit abhas, the shadow of consciousness. Hmm? Setting the, the, the world in, 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 in motion. Hmm? Chit abhas is, is, is the whole mahatattva, really. So, <coughs> as the, the matter becomes refined, it becomes more like what we are constituted of as, as an atma. 
And so the identification is more subtle. And therefore, when an intellect just wants to go on and on and be entertained and so forth, it's hard to distinguish and say, that's enough, You're not the, I'm not the intellect, and an and, and intellectual necessity to know and capture the teachings, and so it can, if it's not um, properly understood, so it can get in the way, and and you know, we may try to force our way, you know, into the through the by the power of intellect, rather than through the through the through the through the you know, giving up of power that's involved in the chanting. The chanting says, "Help." You know, something like that. You know, uh, it, it, and and the intellect's like, I'm going to get there and uh, conquer the the whole thing. Something like this. So it can be a problem when we need to. The Bhagavatam tries to pacify the intellect, quiet the intellect, satisfy it, um, uh, and so forth. But it's unfortunate that sometimes we can we can participate in. Discussions and so forth, and reading, for that matter, and it it can be no more than intellectual, um, um, or a less than fully spiritual activity because of the nature of the approach, not being one that 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 causes the the argument, the discussion, the point to go in the head and down into the heart and bring about a change and. In action. So, so anyway, the limitations of the philosophy—it has a purpose. It's to, it's to get us engaged and so forth. And you can throw it out the window if if, if you're if you are engaged um, uh, fully, and and if, if you are and you're experiencing, then you'll know the siddhanta, so to speak. Hmm. So, it's a long answer, but that's the that's my answer. <laughs> Does that help? Okay, good. Well, that was an interesting discussion. Yes, what time is it first? Almost eight. Okay, we'll be here tomorrow. Yes. And then tomorrow, Maharaj is giving a class in the morning. At, at, at what time? At ten. Ten, ten. And we'll, then we'll get together tomorrow in the evening. will be our uh, last meeting. and then But Maharaj will be here another day, I think, on Sunday when I have to go to Warsaw to satisfy the intellect of the radio audience. <laughs> we make sense. We're okay. We're, we're reasonable people. Um, but uh, anyway, so we'll stop there. Shri Sri Gornatananda ki jai. Shri Gauri Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai. Gaur Bhaktavinda ki jai. Gaur Premanande. Oh.